seriously popular. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Lucy Letby is accused of the murder of seven babies and the attempted murder of ten others. While she was working on the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital, Letby denies all of the charges over the incidents. Lucy Letby was the only person working on the night shift. It was alleged in court that their mother was apparently told by Miss Letby, trust me, I'm a nurse. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of allegations, the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny, premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven infants and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. In total, there are 22 charges, all of which she denies. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for the Mail, I will be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week on this podcast, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is the trial of Lucy Letby. The case against Lucy Letby is that she murdered or tried to kill 17 babies while she was working as a neonatal nurse at the Countess of Chester Hospital in the northwest of England. She denies the charges. The babies in this trial are not being named for legal reasons, and the identities of their families are also being protected. They're known only as babies A to Q. Seven of the babies died. Ten survived. Each one of these babies was or is someone's son or daughter. And the mums, dads and families of every baby are present in court, listening to every detail of how their child was allegedly killed or harmed. We'll be bringing you that detail as the jury is hearing it from the prosecution and defence. We're getting behind the headlines to explain far more than the news reports you'll be reading, watching and listening to. And the importance of a fair trial is paramount, so we won't be getting into anything in this podcast that the jury have not been told, because they are the 12 people who have to decide the outcome of this case. The jury is now hearing about each baby in turn, and over the past few weeks we've focused each episode on each baby. We've already heard how six babies were allegedly killed or harmed by Lucy Letby over a six-week period in the summer of 2015. 
And on the last episode, we heard that Lucy Letby allegedly attempted to murder the seventh baby in this case, baby G, in September the same year. Today, we'll hear that she allegedly tried to kill baby G on two further occasions. Welcome to episode nine, Baby G, part two. So Liz, we're on to the second part of episode nine. Just remind listeners why we've split the episode into two. Well, it was for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because of delays in the case due to a juror being poorly with COVID. And secondly, because the alleged three attempted murders happened on two separate dates, two weeks apart. We've already heard that baby G is the most premature baby in this case. She was actually born in a hospital toilet when her mother went into labour unexpectedly, 16 weeks early. We've heard that she was on the margins of survivability, weighing a little over one pound when she was born at the end of May. That's right, Caroline, she was tiny, but she was a fighter and it's the prosecution case that she was stable and progressing well when Lucy Letby first tried to kill her on September the 7th. And this date is significant, Liz, because it was Baby G's 100th day of life, a massive milestone. And the nurses had put up a party banner and brought in a cake to celebrate. But before they had time to celebrate at all, Baby G collapsed. It's alleged that in the early hours of September the 7th, Lucy Letby overfed her with milk and also injected air into her stomach via her nose tube, causing her to vomit violently and stop breathing. She was so poorly that doctors at the Countess decided she needed to go to Arrow Park Hospital on the Wirral for more specialist care. And that's where we left it last week, Liz. Baby G had returned to Arrow Park. Yes, she was there for eight days and treated for an infection. And when she came back to the Countess, she was breathing for herself. So over the next few days, doctors treating Baby G thought that she was doing well. In fact, she was well enough to be nursed in Nursery 4. And that was where the least sick babies on the neonatal unit were cared for. And by September the 21st, doctors were preparing to give her her three-month vaccinations. And let's just explain why this date is another significant date for Baby G. So the jury have heard that September the 21st was actually Baby G's due date. That's the day she should have been born if she hadn't come early. Now, the court had heard that Lucy Letby was working a day shift on September the 21st and she started the day as Baby G's designated nurse. That's right, Caroline. Lucy Letby had come on shift as usual around 7.30am. And jurors have heard that on this day the unit was busy. There was about 14 babies being looked after in total. Lucy Letby was responsible for Baby G in Nursery 4 and three other babies on the unit. So what did the prosecution say happened that morning? So the jury have been shown medical notes written by Lucy Letby. At around quarter past nine that morning, she fed baby G her usual 40 millilitres of milk via the tube in her nose because she was asleep. Then, just over an hour later, baby G vomited twice, stopped breathing for around 10 seconds and the oxygen levels in her blood dropped dangerously low. Her heart rate also surged and it was noted that she was pale and her tummy looked more swollen than normal. A junior doctor called Dr Peter Fielding, who was on his morning ward round, was called to review baby G. But by the time he arrived a few minutes later, she appeared to have recovered, without any need for help, and had stabilised herself. 
And it's the prosecution case, Liz, that like she'd done a fortnight earlier on September the 7th, Lucy Letby caused this collapse by overfeeding baby G and injecting air into her tummy. They say this is the second time she tried to kill her. After baby G's collapse, doctors began trying to work out what had caused it. They stopped baby G's milk feeds and ordered x-rays and blood tests. They also decided she needed intravenous fluids and antibiotics in case she had an infection. A decision was also made to try and move her to the intensive care room, Nursery 1, for one-to-one care and closer observation. And another nurse, who we can't name for legal reasons, became her designated nurse. But before she could be moved into Nursery 1, the doctors needed to insert a cannula into baby G so they could get these fluids and medicines into her bloodstream. The court heard that several attempts were made by different doctors to find a suitable vein, but because she'd been so poorly and previously had lots of treatment, this proved tricky. Eventually, the most senior doctor in charge, that's consultant paediatrician Dr John Gibbs, and another registrar, Dr David Harkness, were both called to help. They arrived in Nursery 4 shortly before Hoppers 3, and because there were at least two more babies in cots in the same room, a portable privacy screen was put up around baby G while they carried out the difficult procedure. Jurors were told they eventually managed to get the cannula into baby G's left foot at the seventh attempt. Baby G's mum left the nursery while this was going on. Baby G's designated nurse also went out because she was looking after another baby elsewhere and the doctors left the room once the cannula had been inserted. Moments later, Lucy Letby, who was looking after at least two other babies in the same room, was calling for help after baby G collapsed again. Baby G's designated nurse gave evidence that she was called back into Nursery 4 by Lucy Letby. She said as she got to the door she saw Lucy Letby beside baby G, giving her rescue breaths with a mask because her oxygen levels had dropped again. The privacy screen was still up but she said a machine, which was supposed to monitor baby G's heart rate and oxygen levels, was off. This was not normal protocol, she told the court. She said, Lucy Letby said baby G wasn't breathing. I could see she wasn't. She didn't look well at all. She was a pale colour. She wasn't moving. The monitor wasn't on. The actual physical screen was off. It was a black screen, which meant it was off. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Liz, it's the prosecution case that Lucy let be turned off the monitor before attacking baby G and sabotaging her care for a third time. But when baby G's designated nurse gave evidence in court last week, she told the jury that she didn't think Lucy Letby could have been the person who turned the machine off. And why did she say she'd come to that conclusion? She said that after baby G collapsed, Dr Gibbs and Dr Harkness had come to see her in the corridor. She said they apologised for leaving baby G behind the screen after they finished inserting the cannula and for not switching the monitor back on. Ben Myers, KC, Lucy Letby's barrister, questioned the nurse about this and suggested that Lucy Letby had been cross that baby G had been left like this and urged her to report it to management. The nurse said she had no recollection of talking to Lucy Letby about it, although she did admit she was so concerned that she had reported the matter to the neonatal unit manager, Erian Powell. But neither Mrs Powell, Dr Gibbs or Dr Hartness could remember talking to the nurse about the monitor. That's right, Caroline. Dr Gibbs said he couldn't remember if the monitor had been detached from baby G, but insisted it was not his usual practice to do this. Dr Harkness also said it was highly unlikely that he would have turned off the machine. But Dr Gibbs accepted that if the nurse remembered he and Dr Harkness apologising for forgetting to put the monitor back on, then presumably that's what happened. Mr Myers also asked Dr Gibbs whether he might have left the baby if he was very busy and stretched across different parts of the hospital, or if he had to leave in a rush, for instance. Again, the paediatrician said that that may be a reason, but he couldn't remember it happening. He also insisted he would not have left baby G if she had not been stable. So after this collapse at half past three, baby G was moved back into the intensive care room in nursery one, where she was put on oxygen support and kept under close observation. And at around 7.30pm that night, Lucy let be clocked off work. So Liz, we've heard a lot from the prosecution about these final two attempted murder allegations, but why did the defence say Lucy Letby was not responsible? As we heard in last week's episode, Mr Myers said Baby G had a lot of problems because she was so premature. He pointed out that when she came back to the Countess, she'd been diagnosed with reflux, which is a common problem which causes babies to bring up their milk. Mr Myers described Baby G as being prone to vomiting, and displaying frequent drops in her oxygen levels. The doctors who treated her agreed that she did have some vomiting episodes, but they insisted the only two instances of projectile vomiting were noted on the days when Lucy Letby allegedly attacked her. Mr Myers also suggested that Baby G could have had an infection on September the 21st, or the stress of the repeated attempts to cannulate her could have been responsible for her collapse. That's right, Caroline, and Dr Gibbs agreed that this was a possibility, although the court also heard no markers for infection were found in her blood at that time. So after baby G's collapse on September the 21st, she recovered and remained in the neonatal unit at the Countess for several more weeks. On November the 2nd, when she was 156 days old, she was finally well enough to go home. Yes, but jurors have heard that it wasn't until she had a scan aged 15 months that the full extent of the damage to her brain was revealed. Now age seven, baby G has spent repeated periods in hospital and is still under the care of doctors at the Countess. 
she has been diagnosed with a serious form of cerebral palsy, which has left her with life-limiting problems. She's unlikely to ever walk, is visually impaired, is fed through a peg into her tummy, and needs round-the-clock care from her parents. Her father told jurors that after she was allegedly attacked, she seemed different and didn't respond to my voice anymore. We do not know what her life expectancy is. Last week, we heard from former Chief Prosecutor for the northwest of England, Nazir Afzal. In part two of his interview today, he tells us why court trials should be live-streamed. One way of tackling public confidence or lack of public confidence, mm-hmm. well, there's only one way, really, is transparency. If you shine a light on something, you get to see what it's like. And also, people do change their behaviours. You know, the, the public gallery, you'll find generally they're empty in most cases, yeah. the vast majority of the time. People can't be bothered or can't afford to go into town to watch it. And yet the court is meant to be public. It's mm-hmm. meant to be open to you. And it would demystify it, wouldn't it? You know, unless, unless you're involved in a case, most people, most ordinary people don't set foot in a courtroom unless they get called for jury service. And there is a bit of, I don't know, you see witnesses come and give evidence who look absolutely terrified because they've no idea yeah. what to expect. Lawyers and judges don't like the idea of streaming. I wonder why, hey? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> the point is, they are operating, being paid for by you, the taxpayer. And therefore, we, the taxpayers, should see what's being done in our name. You know, there used to be that saying, justice should be seen. It's a no-brainer for me. You know, I've already had conversations with the Labour Party on this, because they're preparing their manifesto, if there is going to be an election in a year or two. And, you know, I said to them, the one thing that would make the biggest difference to the public's view of justice and make it as accessible as possible would be to allow streaming. It has to be subject to protections, but in the main, the most important thing you could do to make the justice system belong to us would be to allow us to see it. So what's Sakir's view on that, Nazir? Are you going to give us a scoop? I haven't spoken to Sakir about it, but I've spoken to his team, and they are very open to Mm -hmm. considering it. You and I don't have to watch it, but the fact that it's there Mm. will do such a big difference. You know, judges will have to speed things up. Judges will have to stop allowing things from drifting. Lawyers will have to tighten up their examination and their preparation of cases. One of the dangers people say is, oh, witnesses will will be playing to the camera. You know, the point is, if it's in the corner of a room, Mm. like a webcam, Mm. you don't even know it's there. You forget it's there. And the use of these new CVP links in COVID, it just proved that the technology is possible. We should have, you know, in effect, digital courts we should allow people to see what's going on. You should be allowed to give evidence from your bedroom or from your workplace. It normalises it, doesn't it, as well, then, I suppose? 100%. There are all sorts of answers to all of the questions that people pose. Part of the reason for the podcast, obviously we're pushing a few legal boundaries, I suppose, by covering an ongoing trial on a podcast, but we felt yep. it was important because of exactly what you just said around giving witnesses a voice, giving victims a voice, giving yep. the process a voice, because you've got that thing with a long trial where we media go into the beginning, opening statement, rock up a couple of times in the middle, and then come and for come the defence, and yeah. then at the end. Yeah. And, and actually the detail of the process is lost. The Americans have got this. The default is that all cases will be visible. Thank you for your time. That was yeah. absolutely fascinating. Thanks so much. Perfect. Yeah, you're welcome, both Yeah, you. brilliant. Yeah, thanks so much, Nazir. So that's it for episode nine. The court is now on a three-week break for Christmas, 
which means the jury won't be hearing any more evidence until January the 9th. So we've got a few weeks off, Caroline, but hopefully we'll be back in the first week of January to bring you a special guest episode. See you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.